Welcome to the Value Script Podcast, where we bring value every episode for the everyday person. I am your host, Lonnie Carmichael, and seated next to me is the majorly beautiful <laughs> Meredith Carmichael. <laughs> well, we, um, I feel like I'm in a little bit of a biblical mood here, so I want to go into another parable that we talked about recently. And, and this was in uh, the, um, you know, we went to church and this was in the Sunday school uh, manual presentation. We had a Sunday school lesson on this, <laughs> both of these. Uh, we just did an episode about the woman that was taken in adultery and, and brought before Jesus. And today I wanted to talk a little bit about the prodigal son. And again, having have a little um, feeling, a little connected to both of those stories in some ways. And um, the prodigal son is a story of a young man who had a very rich father. And without reading, I don't necessarily want to read straight off these verses because that might get a little monotonous. So I will summarize as best I can. Don't judge me if it's not perfect. Oh, and it's it's in um, what yeah, was that, Luke? 15? We're on Luke chapter fifteen. Yeah, basically 11 through 32 are the verses that we're going to kind of summarize. But prodigal son, there is this rich guy. He had two sons. One of them was stalwart and reliable and predictable. And one of them was not. And the one that was not went to him at the time and asked for his inheritance. And something I learned recently that I did not know or realize is that in their tradition at the time, the oldest son got twice the inheritance of anyone else. So they got a double portion of the inheritance. So since there was two of them, he basically got 66% and the younger son got 33% was their inheritance allotment. So essentially, if this guy was worth $10 million, not saying he was, just saying as an example that we can relate to number-wise, if he was worth $10 million, this guy went and said, hey, dad, I want $3.3 million. And I don't want to wait until you die to get it. I want to actually use it now while we're all alive and healthy and I can go and sow my wild oats. And that's kind of what he wanted to do. And so he went out and he says he engaged in riotous living. And, um, you know, he, he bought fine apparel. He, um, you can only imagine, you know, what he did. Because we don't really know. The story doesn't necessarily elaborate other than he engaged in riotous living. And quickly, more, I think quickly, faster than he thought was going to happen, ran through and blew through the entire $3 million or whatever, his inheritance. His third of the inheritance. And then at the same time, there was a famine that came in the land. And so it was like a recession, right? It was harder to find food and water and resources. And so he fell on very hard times and found himself, um, it says in verse 14, he began to be in want. I think probably the understatement of the century. He began to be in want. But not only was he in want, like what was he in want of? Right. It wasn't just for physical things. I'm sure he missed the relationship he had with his father mm-hmm. and, 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 and the remorse and of the shame, the way he'd been living, the way he squandered his inheritance and, yeah. and took that from his father, too. I think it wasn't even just that not only did he just lose his portion of it, but I think he realized like, OK, I took this from my father who worked really hard for it and created this amazing life for us. And now not only do I not have it, but neither does he. Right. So they're both. You know, lost it. Right. And I feel, I think one of the reasons I relate to that is we have a very strong tradition um, of the way that we've lived in our church. And I broke that (laughs) essentially with, with my actions and what, what I did during my midlife crisis. And so I can relate to somewhat of the feelings that he had of 
I'm sure it was at this point, he's like, okay, I don't have any money. There's a famine. There's not a lot of food. And it says he joined himself to a citizen of the country. And what he ended up doing was feeding swine. At that time, their tradition, um, cloven animals were unclean. So he was finding himself amongst the most unclean elements that he has been taught that could be in his life. And he realized, like, I can't do this. I'm going to have to go back to my dad. I'm going to have to go back to my He's the only one that can save me here. I imagine that was really hard. Mm -hmm. He waited until he was feeding the pigs and eating with the pigs. Yeah, he was destitute. Like he was in the worst place possible right. in his life before he went back. And he went back and he just said, you know what, dad? He goes, he, he ends up going home. And he, at some point, says, I am not even worthy to be your son anymore. Let me be one of your servants. Let me be your servant. Yeah. I cannot, I cannot imagine what he felt internally, like, on his way back home. You know, all the... If you just think about the internal dialogue that you would have with yourself, like, what am I going to say to my dad? Like, how's he going to feel? How am I going to be received? But, like, maybe he'll let me be his servant. Right. Because he was thinking, even the servants <laughs> at my father's home are doing better than I am. And and what what internal dialogue would you have? Right. You know, you're going to have to eat some crow as they say, you know, you're you know you messed up. Everybody knows. Mm -hmm. Right? It's really difficult and I found that being able to relate to that and trying to continue to go to church just and and it wasn't the way anyone else made me feel. It was just the way that my internal dialogue spoke to me about you're unworthy. You're not as good as the rest of these people. You majorly messed up. And it was hard. It was very hard. And um, honestly, I, I'm, I can't even take credit for having the strength to do it. I, I, the only reason I continued to walk forward was because of you and our family and the traditions that, and teachings and things that we're trying to culturally instill in our kids. That was, that was where I got the strength to move forward. But had I been left on my own, I don't know that I would have gone through that process and so he goes and, and then he has a brother who is basically perfect his brother never left his brother as he approaches the home is out actually working in the fields faithfully just like his father had asked him to do and as he approaches the home it says that um his his father you know saw him coming and approaching and he called to his servants and he and he told them bring forth the best robes Put it on him and put a ring on his hand and put shoes on his feet and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it that we may eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive. Again, he was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. His elder brother, as, as he was in the field, came and says, drew nigh to the house. He heard the music and the dancing. And he called to one of the servants and said, hey, what's going on? What are we doing here? Right. And his brother wasn't very happy. And verse 28 says, and he was angry and would not go in there. This is the, and then, so the dad actually goes out to find the older brother and it's like, Hey, why aren't you in here? And he's like, what the heck? I've been here this whole time and you're throwing the party for this guy that left, squandered all your wealth, you know, went and did all these bad things. What are you doing? And the brother was bitter, right? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know why I, 
in my mind, I guess, you know, I'm kind of on the other side of it. So, of course, I have this perspective. But in my mind, like, what's the brother have to be bitter about? He's still got $6.6 million. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, he didn't blow his inheritance. He blew his, he, you know, his brother blew his own inheritance. He didn't I mess with his. For you know? sure. I think well, he was upset because he wasn't celebrated for doing great things. And he felt like his brother was being celebrated, but... For what? Like, what did he do that was great? The brother's like, I've been working so hard and I've been, I've done everything you've asked me to do. Like, why, why am I not being celebrated? I think it's that that so, made so, him. So this is kind of what I want to dig into. When this was brought up in church, it was a little frustrating for me because people were like, why did the prodigal son take so long to return home? And the number one answer was, oh, pride. It was his pride. It's so hard to get over. You know, it's your pride. That may have been some of it, but I think from my perspective, it wasn't necessarily my pride that made it hard to get over. It was facing the guilt. It was facing the shame. It was wondering if you were going to be received in a way that was constructive or destructive to your walk with God. And when you have to bury your head in your hands and go back to church to face people that know what you did wrong and that it's there's no secret in my mind it was a very difficult thing to do and uh, again having motivation beyond myself is what helped me get through that and I think that's why he waited so long to go back to his father as he knew he knew it was wrong he, you know he knew he messed up he didn't need any outside encouragement to help him feel bad about himself he already had it right mm-hmm. And so with his brother receiving him the way he did, this just kind of made me think, this guy's kind of a punk. You know, he's a prideful jerk. <laughs> like, you, you would hope that your brother would love you enough to be like, oh my gosh, you're back. I'm so glad you're here. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sorry, like, you know, I'm sorry you've been starving. I'm sorry you've been so destitute. Let's, yeah, yeah, let's do this. But... So I, I think it's interesting. It's easy that the, the members that commented in, in that lesson was taught, they were talking about the pride of the prodigal. They didn't bring up the pride of the good son once. Yeah. And I think that's really interesting because I think most, it's easier to find yourself on the pride of the good son on that side of things when you're in this kind of a situation. It's easy to look at, well, this person should have done this better, right? Well, this person definitely messed up here, here, and here, right? And so we need to, intervene or help or make sure that they understand these things and, and that they put them in their place is how I think. Or, or help them, help them get on the right path. Yeah, right. The father though, I think was displaying the most appropriate emotion where he knew, he knew this is our opportunity to love. This is our opportunity to regain our family and to welcome this son back with open arms. And I'm sure, you know, there were, conversations and lessons that were taught after that. And he knew that that would be the case. But at this moment, our son just came home and he was lost. Now he is found. We have him back. Let's get the family together. And it is something we're celebrating that somebody would be willing to come back and come home and you throw your arms of love around them. You know, again, going back to Jesus's first two commandments, right? Love God with all your heart, might, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And, you know, we, I think more often than not in our lives, we find ourselves in this predicament, but don't realize it. And we silently judge others. 
And rather than taking the opportunity to love, or maybe I shouldn't say that as a statement, perhaps you should ask yourself in your walk, in your life, you know, are we finding opportunities to love others or are we finding reasons to judge others? And what is our reasons for the judgment? Is it to make sure that we are maintaining a status in our own mind of, well, at least we're this good, or at least we're not that bad. Or is it to maybe trying to help somebody like, hey, you're kind of screwing up here. You know, you need to do better. Sometimes it's well-intended. It's not always malicious. But any of those times we find ourselves in these situations, we need to err on the side of love. We need to err on the side of loving people the way that Jesus would and doing what he would do. That is, that is to open, open your arms, throw your arms around these people, give them the support that they need, and help them on their journey. And that is, that is our role. It is not our role to judge. It's not our role to, to shame. It's not our role to make sure these people feel guilty. Our role here is to love. I saw something so neat, um, I don't know, a week or two ago. It was just scrolling through Instagram. And there was this mom, and she said she'd had um, two sons that had served missions. And when those sons came home from their missions, there's like a big party. You know, for anybody that's not um, LDS, when your child comes home from a mission, it is a celebration. You haven't seen them for two years. Or your daughter, your child comes home from a mission, and it's that is something to celebrate. Um, and she said she had a child that came home from a mission early. And she said that means, when that son came home... That means he messed up in some way. He did something wrong, broke a mission rule to the point where he, they no longer allowed him to continue serving his mission. Mm-hmm. Or, or maybe it was something that happened before his mission, but either way, sure. he had to come home early. And she said, we didn't have a big party. We didn't have a big celebration. It was, it was a different dynamic when he came home. And she said, I regret that so much because anytime that a child comes home, anytime, that is a reason to celebrate anytime. And I just thought what a beautiful lesson to learn that, that her child was there. And regardless of the circumstances, he needed to be welcomed home and loved in the same regard. You know, and again, in the story of the prodigal son, how wise the father was to have the correct perspective from the, from the beginning, yeah. rather than this, this wonderful mother had to learn the hard way. She had regret. Yeah. And she had remorse. And but how how amazing that she shared it. Right. <laughs> you know, and didn't yeah. just keep it inside, but but helped others to be able to learn from that too. And I love what you said about like the lessons can be taught later. Like I'm sure they did have conversations like, uh, you know, okay, what can we do better going forward? And anyway, well, I'm sure I'm sure the prodigal son was like, "Hey dad, all right, I way messed up. How do I not do that again? Or what can how, what's my pathway moving forward?" Right. You know, I'm sure right. he had to have had some conversation like that. Yeah. And it was going to come. It wasn't the brother's job to sit there and make it stick. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times as men or as humans, imperfectly running a church as, as best we can, um, sometimes we, we need to make a stick. And I don't know. I don't know. Again, being on the side of it I'm on, it, it hurts. And sometimes you don't need to make a stick so hard. And we need to err on the side of love. Yeah. All right. It's your turn. We want to hear from you. What were your thoughts on this? Let us know in the comments. And don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. And we'll see you next time on another excellent episode. Value script. <laughs>